Hi, I'm Sakita Holly. I am an award-winning publicist and entrepreneur obsessed with transforming brands, and I am dedicated to sharing everything that I've learned along the way to help you win at work, in business, and everywhere in between. On this podcast, you will have direct, unfiltered access to your favorite creatives, entrepreneurs, and executives, and the methods that have made both them and myself successful. This is the Sakita Method. To live tweet this episode, use the hashtag the Sakita Method and be sure to tag me at Miss Success, that's M I S S Success, on both Instagram and Twitter. Today's guest is Tanya Rapley. Tanya is a millennial money expert, author, and serial entrepreneur best known for her award-winning site, MyFab Finance. In 2014, she was deemed the new face of wealth building by Black Enterprise Magazine and was featured on the cover. She was one of their youngest cover subjects ever, by the way. From the start, Tanya's mission has been to help millennials break the cycle of living paycheck to paycheck, so that they can become financially free to do more of what they love. She is the creator of the Banish to Balance Challenge, a debt elimination challenge that helped over 4,000 participants pay off more than $200,000 in debt in 60 days. When she is not out touring the country providing workshops for private and nonprofit clients or delivering them virtually now, thanks to COVID, Tanya lends her expertise as a finance expert to top publications such as US News and World Report, Reuters, Essence, and more. She is also the co-founder of Maternal, a nonprofit created to provide financial, educational, and emotional support through pregnancy and beyond. And more recently, she acquired Club Lufa, a self-care subscription service that delivers premium bath products to your door each month. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for being here. But first of all, come on, resume. <laughs> come <laughs> Come on, resume. Like, I feel like there are still so many facets of your business that I didn't even touch on. I'm like, can I include all that she does? <laughs> with, with, with so much going on in your life, personally and professionally, I have to ask, like, how are you doing today? I mean, you know, some days are easier than others. You know, some days, like, everything just kind of, like, falls into its its spot and its slot. Um, other days it's like, okay, what are we, what are we not doing today? Um, and so it, 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 but it is also, you know, about support and everything else, but it's been, I'm making it happen and I'm, I'm finding and existing in my joy. So that's, that's all I can ask for with everything on the table. That's a good way to put it. And you said something that was key. You know, you said some days it's about what's not happening. Like sometimes we look at our to-do list and we're like, okay, I need to put more things on because there's so much to do. But these days it's about editing. (laughs) Like I'm just going to honor my limits and take some things off my plate because it's, it's just not happening. Exactly. Exactly. And it's, you know, it's okay if something's not going to happen. Like we got to be kind to ourselves about that um, and so forth, especially now with, you know, being primary childcare providers on top of everything else. Like even yesterday, yesterday was one of those days where I, like my husband, he um, had his first shoot since everything's happened. And like when he has a shoot, he's like working the day before, the day after and the shoot day. And so I've had cares pretty much all day. Um, for the past three days. 
and I decided to give myself grace and be like, Tanya, it's okay if things don't get done. Like it's, you know, I just kind of had to check in with myself. Like you've been productive. You've been productive this past, you know, this past month and a half. It's okay. Just be present and just give yourself grace. And I think that's important. And that's important to understand, especially in this culture that we exist in where you see everybody's wins up front. Like you have a front seat to people's wins and, you know, people are telling you, if you're not doing this, you're not doing enough. If you don't come out this quarantine with so-and-so and so you're not doing enough or you wasted it. And it's just important to kind of dial back and check in with yourself. That's a that's a great point. And, you know, when I just think about some of the ways um, COVID and like the quarantine has changed me, it made me really reflect on just how long I've been on this like professional hamster wheel. Like I've been working mm. since I was 14, you know, and then, you know, there's high school, there's sports, there's college. And I work through college then there's internships, your career. We've never really had, even though a lot of us are, you know, are lucky to have our jobs or have businesses that we've started, we've never really had a pause, a real pause. You know, I had my first pause, actually. So same, similar to you, um, when I was in high school and so forth, I worked, I started working at 15 down south. And um, I remember when I was in my, I think I was 25. The company I worked for went out of business. This 24, the company I worked for, they went bankrupt like um, at, as a result of like the last recession. And I took my unemployment and moved to New York. And I was like, you know what? I've been working for the past 10 years. I am going to take this and live off of it and figure out what my next steps are. And so, yeah, I think we, sometimes we need those periods of rest in our lives. And I think that this is another one of those opportunities is rest unlike any other rest because it's everybody else, everything else is also pausing, you know, for those first two, first two months, I feel like everything paused and it was really a chance. It's like, you really did not have to, you didn't go into the office. You didn't know if you were going to have events and so forth. So sometimes it is a matter of reframing and just taking that rest. I love that you had your first pause at 24, 25. And, you know, that was kind of that move to New York was literally the catalyst to that next phase in your journey and the precipice to you getting into personal finance. So that's like the perfect <laughs> segue. Uh, thank you for that. So your, you know, as I was reading about, you know, just your journey and I've been following you for so long, uh, I was surprised to see that your degrees are actually in public administration and urban policy. How did you get into personal finance? Yeah. Uh, yeah. My degrees are social service oriented. I did that. Um, they did that work pretty much when I moved to New York, uh, worked in social service uh, oriented roles when I was in college doing city planning for the city of Miami. Um, so I've had such a yeah storied life. Um, but and so I moved to New York City and wanted to use my degree in public administration. So I went to work at a nonprofit and working at that nonprofit, um, like, you know, if anyone's seen the, the documentary, she's did that, um, that's on Netflix. They kind of know my experience where I was in an uh, abusive relationship. And, I, and during that relationship, my finances just like, it was just a snowball of awful um, events when it came to my finances. So moving to New York, and working in this nonprofit job, I was creating community events for residents of Brooklyn. And then I was sitting in one of my events and I was like, what? and it was a financial wellness seminar. And I was like, 
you need to be implementing this advice because your finances are in shambles. And kind of just had that conversation with myself, like, okay, let's do this. Let's, like, let's, let's, let's turn this around. And so from that, I started working on my finances. I started working to improve my finances. And up until that point, I always told myself that I, I couldn't be good with money because like, I had social service degrees. Like That was for people who had finance-oriented degrees and math degrees and so forth. And then it got to a point where I ended up um, realizing that it's not as difficult as people make it seems. And maybe it, what about if I talked about finances in a way like that I understood it? So that's what it started. I was like, let me just talk about this the way I understand it. And maybe it will help somebody else. Start a little blog to hold me accountable. At that point, my blog was only to hold me accountable and to hopefully get free clothes from <laughs> Like at that point, I just wanted free clothes from Macy's and just to hold myself accountable. And then it started growing. And then being the Gemini that I am, I went like, all like all in and I was like let me go to this finance conference to see about how other people are blogging about finances and it was when I went to that conference and I was sitting in um sitting in a session and a woman was saying how she had made $35,000 that month with her finance blog I was like hold up what wait what wow. I just did this right. to hold myself accountable but if there's like a real opportunity for me to do this full time and make money doing it I'm not making at my nonprofit job at that time I was making like 35,000 a year so she's wow. making and so that's when I was like let's get to work I spent the rest of the time at that conference connecting with people and so forth um started becoming very serious about turning my fat finance into a, a full-time business that was 2014 by the fall of 2015 I was resigning to do my fat finance full-time wow that is that's so interesting because I wanted to ask you you know was there any intentionality behind launching you know my fat finance as a blog but what you said was so key about even though you were doing this to, you know, just enhance your own understanding of personal finance and to figure out your own situation, you invested in a conference. Like you took the time and the resources to say, you know what, let me go to this conference. And then that was when you had your light bulb moment. How, how did you shift from that, from that conference what was the shift like, you know, because you were blogging about your journey at the time? How did you shift it into overdrive um, and start thinking about what you were posting as a resource for others? Yeah. And you know what's interesting? I didn't even spend my money to go to that conference. That conference was because I had been blogging and I had relationships with other bloggers. So a brand reached out to me and asked if I wanted to put together an influencer event. Um, at Emerald Lagasse's restaurant in New Orleans, because the conference is in New Orleans, um, with my blogger friends. And they would pay for my conference registration. They would pay for my flight and my hotel. And I was like, oh, so I can go to this for free. Um, so I didn't even have to pay for that. But it was just like, you know, establishing myself as a voice in this space um, within that time and being consistent. Um, and so the steps that I took really was just figuring out what makes a difference between a non-profitable blog and a profitable blog. Like what, it, what is that key difference and what is the, what kind of content am I creating? Um, what ways do I monetize this site and so forth so that it is easy for me to generate revenue from it? Because up until that point, I think I've just like kind of blogging. What do you want to hear? What do you want to, I wasn't blogging with a strategy. 
um, up until that point. And when I went to that conference, it gave me a strategy to um, to utilize and and when it came to creating my posts and the content and how I related to my audience and what I was offering my audience. Um, and then from there, I also started to build out my network of other bloggers who were making money with their blogs, just to be able to have conversations with people, just to be able to talk to people and be like, hey, so what's working for you? What's not working for you? What do you enjoy doing? And using all of that as um, kind of the, the, the framework for how I set my fab finance going forward. It's not to say I didn't make mistakes um, because um, as we started to peel back the layers, you know, recently I realized like it was just a whole bunch of stuff just thrown together. Um, and so um, not that I didn't make mistakes, but I think there is a testimony in that even in making mistakes, it still was generating enough revenue to free me up to do it full time. So for the people who are perfectionists and so forth, and like, it has to be a certain way. It has to be this way. It has to be that way. It wasn't this way or that way. And it still was, you know, it still enabled me to become a full-time entrepreneur. You figure it out as you go. That's a word. And I, I always say done is better than perfect. And sometimes I fall back into the trap of, oh, but I just need to make another tweak before I can put it out there. And it's so true that the best way to improve something is to put it into the world because that's when you get that feedback or that's when you are now held accountable um, to improve it. So, so that's great. And that, that's great insight. Um, and it's interesting that you were, you got that opportunity to go to that conference based on what you were already doing. So that was pretty much your early days of influencing um, and people recognize you as a, you know, just valuable resource. So that's amazing too. And I think a lot of people can learn from that. I wasn't even aware of what a, what a influencer was. I was like, oh, what, what? Yeah. As I'm thinking about just personal finance, you know, most personal finance experts do not look like you and I. And I think, you know, and, you know, thankfully you and so many others are helping to change the landscape. But when you were starting out with MyFab Finance, did you face any resistance from people who weren't used to seeing or hearing a Black woman discuss money and wealth building um, from whether it's regular people or maybe financial institutions that you may have wanted to partner with? You know, it's interesting. Um, I think the experience has, it's been, it's just varied. Um, I would say that when I was starting out, a lot of the, um, the negative interactions were actually with myself, honestly, was telling myself, like, you know, that you, you don't have a, an Ivy League degree. You don't have a background in finance. You used to struggle with money. Like, who who are you and who do you think you are to be talking about money? And why should they listen to you? Um, I was really my harshest critic. And that's some of the work that I'm doing with myself today is, like, not being my harshest critic um, because I am a very critical individual and I often receive the blunt of that. So I would say that initially it was um, me, uh, but then as I grew in personal finance, I realized that there kind of was a quota that existed for Black women and men that didn't exist for my white peers. Like you could walk into a room and they'd have, you know, or you could be invited to a panel and they'd have like six or seven white bloggers there. And then like they only had room for like one Black blogger. You'd be like the token Black person. Um, when it came to representing the voice of the African-American community or the Black community when it came to personal finance. It's like, so you guys feel like you need six or seven 
Caucasian voices, but only one white voice represents the entire community when we know that the the disparity of wealth creation and wealth opportunities in this in this society um, negatively affect us the most. Um, and so it was it was really dealing with that. Um, I feel like sometimes in life you also know how to know like how to play your position and i realized that, okay they are t- seeking me out as like the token black woman like because and i think it was because like i had an afro i have tattoos i'm a little edgy but i'm safe and and acknowledging that but then also when i'm getting in the room letting them know like there's so many more of us and i would like to see so many more of us and you know when i'm working with brands and so forth and opening the opportunity up for other um other individuals or, you know, ask, you know, asking them what the plans are for their campaign that they want to include other voices from the, the black finance blogger community and so forth. So I've seen it in the scale of we can only have one. And, and, you know, and that also, you also have to reconcile with that. Um, I, you know, I remember reading about like Naomi and Tyra and kind of like, kind of dealt with that where it's like you can only have one black model who's it going to be and you kind of feel like is she going to get it or am I going to get it and like realizing that you have to build those relationships and that camaraderie um, across the space because just because someone got an opportunity doesn't mean that there aren't other opportunities for you and so kind of doing that work as well and I feel like the the industry um, continuously pits black people against each other in that way um, that I don't feel like white bloggers necessarily or white experts are facing have to that. Deal with. yeah and i think that you know just understanding how important unity is in our community um just kind of seeing that and moving beyond it so i i, I it hasn't ever been direct but i understand the indirect um yeah the, the dynamic that's that's yeah. just been in place and you said something that was so important is that we no matter what industry we're in we the the climate and the dynamic that's set is that we are competitors and in the traditional sense sure we may be competing for similar accounts but even for me and PR I go out of my way to connect with other publicists other PR firm owners because trust me your the the things we want are different and there's more than enough for all of us. And I think we have to go out of our way, like you said, to connect with each other or else the system kind of wins. Um, mm-hmm. If we're all just looking around like, okay, this is this is my competition. I, you know, I can't share information, et cetera. Um, do you feel that the, the industry has made strides um, to being more inclusive or is that something that you and other personal finance experts, um, black women, black men have just kind of, you know, shown up like we're here? I think we've just shown up. I, I think so. I don't necessarily think the industry has made um, strides to be more inclusive, not the financial services industry. Um, I don't know if they know how. Um, I don't know if they care to, but we, we, we just show up. Um, and, you know, it is, it's important about being allies with one another. It's important about establishing allies within companies. You know, one of the things is that is great is, you know, working with PR individuals who are um, in the PR positions, you know, sometimes, especially if they work for a firm or, or agency, you know, they tend to go to different agencies and sometimes they bring their Rolodex along with them and take you into other opportunities as well. Um, so it is just important to like, you know, when, when you do get tapped, show up and then make it so that people consistently tap you guys to show up. So, yeah, I don't know if the industry, I, the financial services industry is just so 
it's still so traditional. It's still, it's really traditional. You do have newer companies, FinTech is a thing and so forth, but, you know, large and large and largely it's established by the sons of the people who lead the legacy and the legacy firms with the same privilege and the same biases. Um, we look at the black owned financial services companies or FinTech companies. They aren't necessarily getting the market share and raising the money that is needed to compete with the larger ones. Um, so there's still that tinge of um, the privilege and, the uh, the resonance of the you know what has upheld the larger financial service industry right so going going back to my fab finance you started it out as a blog it grew into a resource that you know people were checking for and it has since grown into so much more a book other services can you walk us through how you were able to expand and monetize the business into other areas you know, it's 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 interesting. It is it's been like, okay, what what else can I be doing? What else should I be doing? Um, to move into another direction. Because I think that a lot of us are dynamic and we're not here to just do one thing. We're here to do a few things. Uh, I grew up with military parents. I watched my parents do the same thing for 20 years, and I was like, that is not gonna be my life. And so with my fat finance, it was always kind of asking like, what's next and what makes the most sense? Such as when we created the, um, when I wrote the money manual, which is um, now an Amazon bestseller and it does exceptionally well. I wrote the money manual five years after having my fat finance um, because I felt like, okay, what what's one thing that's tangible for someone who's like not, my coaching services aren't available for, or um it's something that can be utilized for people who, you know, just kind of need to get started. Um, what are some of the conversations I'm always having with people and what are ways that I could easily reach different audiences that don't, don't stress me? What makes my life easier as an entrepreneur um, and expands my reach? So some things come out of come out of that um, at thought process and then some things are by necessity. Um, but then other things are just, you know realizing and having talks with God and like, okay, so what's next? What is the desire that I'm having and what makes sense based on my skill set and how can I utilize it in other areas outside of the finance blogging space if I don't want to remain a finance blogger forever? Because, you know, truth is sometimes, yeah, I get tired of talking about budgets. I get tired of talking about credit scores. Like there's other things that I know about and want to talk about. Um, and so how do I honor that as well, uh, as well as honor my need for, um, or just rest on my need for, for downtime. Uh, so yeah, it's it's what what can I do right now? What makes the most sense? As I think about your business, my business, and just service-based businesses in general are traditionally harder to scale and monetize. So for the rest of us, um, what would you say we can do to shift our mindset and productize the services that we do offer? whether it's about, you know, in a book or, or another way, what can we do? Yeah, that, that was also the thing. Like, how do you scale a service-based business when you're providing a service? And it is just understanding what other passive revenue options are there. Understanding that, you know, passive revenue is active initially took, you know, took me a year to write the money manual, but to this day, you know, we launched it three years ago and to this day, it still generates money every single month. It still brings in revenue every single month. Um, so just understand, like, what am I interested in doing? What skill sets do I have? What are people doing in my space? And what are people? What are the missed opportunities in my space? 
Um, and then what will resonate with my audience and what do I have the capacity to push when you're thinking about like products, because all products aren't the best products. I know that, you know, with my fat finance, we made the decision to take down our online shop because we had an online shop initially, initially we decided to take down the online shop because I just couldn't, uh, I, I was tired of doing order fulfillment. Like we, we had affirmation cards, we had our planners, we had our mugs and I was like, you know, orders coming in every day. I was like, I can't be running to the post office every day. Um, and so it was something that we did for two years, but then I decided to phase it out. But I did decide to phase it out when we had enough revenue coming in that it was kind of almost insignificant revenue that um, I knew was replaced. So I think it's also important to understand that it's just because you do something for, you know, a year or two, it doesn't mean that it has to become a, um, a, a tenant in your business. It doesn't mean that it has to become your pillars. It just means that maybe that helps you get to another point um, and you can phase that out. So when people are thinking about other ways of bringing money for their business, maybe it's something temporary and that's okay. Think about what it looks like to phase that out if you are going to want to phase it out down the line. I love that you said passive income is active at first. I just want people to resonate. I want that to like marinate in your mind um, because that's true. It's like even something that is going to generate passive income, we have to still be intentional about it and put in the work initially in order for it to work for us. Absolutely. I think that there's a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of like, People selling the idea that, you know, passive, 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 passive income is the way to go. But it's like, yeah, you got to have the capacity to set that up. Like you have to have the capacity to set that up. Um, unless you're, we're talking about investments and so forth, and which which is great, but you have to invest a significant amount of money for an investment to become a reasonable passive income source that is that sustains you or sustains at least the area of your life. So for the mo- for most people, you know, we're not dealing with the investments that Jay Z and Beyonce have. We're dealing with the investments that we have, and for us, passive income is going to typically it will require some amount of work initially. Um, but you know, you put in the work and you set it up right. You tweak it when it needs to be, and it, it will continue to to feed you down the line. Speaking of this culture where everyone is kind of like you need to have 50 streams of revenue and you need to have, you need to be making money in your sleep. I feel that entrepreneurship in general right now um, is glamorized, particularly as a way to build wealth. And it is, but people don't really talk about how much of a sacrifice um, in so many ways, especially financial is involved. And even once you're successful, you can still experience times of both feast and famine. Mm -hmm. What is a money tip you would give to those listening who are thinking about starting a business, but they're, they're kind of in the midst of all the noise from, you know, just all these gurus online. Oh, Man, there, I, there's quite a few tips. Um, ask ask for receipts. Check with people who've worked with them. Um, that's really important. I feel like I've had people, you know, with there are people who I've worked with who I've given testimonials for, and I, I respect when people do their due diligence and hit me up and be like, hey, what was your experience working with them? I'm thinking about enrolling in their program and so forth. Because I've told some people, like, I don't think this is right for you at the time based on what your needs are from my experience going through the, their program. Maybe you need something else or maybe you need another thing. Um, you, you know, sales tactics can be really good, but I would say just asking people and 
um, really determining if it's for your business. Because I think that sometimes, you know, there's people who create courses and so forth and, you know, they're, they're really successful creating courses and they monetize their revenue stream is teaching people how to create courses. They literally have courses on teaching people how to create courses and that's how they make their money. But um, sometimes like I've worked with people where the way they taught wasn't specific for my industry and wasn't specific, specific for the price points in my industry. So it's also being understanding of that. Like, is it specific for my industry? Who is this best for? Who has had the most success in your programs? Because that isn't always the same. Like, Personal finance. We work with people who are typically financially insecure and don't necessarily have the most resources. So we're not necessarily going to be selling a $3,000, $10,000 course that the person who made a million dollars, $250,000 on their launch day was able to make because we're selling maybe $197 courses. That like has to be scaled at a certain level. Um, and so just kind of understanding the differences in the industries and so forth and understanding your particular space well, uh, I, I think is really important. But then while a coach is going to be helpful, like a coach can't necessarily be the magic sauce. Um, you still have to be like, it has to be a good business idea. It has to be a profitable business idea and it has to be a sustainable business idea. Uh, and then to get to the point where you ask, is it a scalable business idea? So understanding all those things. Um, and the last tip I've always asked myself is like, did I do everything possible? Am I, am I, did I do everything with the knowledge that I had? and everything possible to be successful before I seek out the help of this individual? Have I implemented the last information that I received? Have I implemented the information from the book before I go pay somebody else? Have I done every single thing possible before I move on to this next option? That is crucial because I think a lot of us kind of get into that trap of one more book, one more course, one uh -huh. more webinar, one more webinar or one more virtual summit. And once I do this one more thing, I'm going to get the key insight that's going to literally transform my business. But like you said, we have to be active in our own dreams. We have to be active in our own business and we can't rely on those outside resources. I think that's that mindset is why there's been a lot of kind of backlash about the empowerment community or empowerment events because people kind of go into these situations maybe expecting that magic pill or that magic mm -hmm. moment that's going to change their business, not realizing you have to still do the work when you leave. Yeah. Yeah. Like you are the, you are, you're, you're one of the key components of the, the magic formula, but you do have to ask yourself, like, what could I have done to make this outcome a little better? Um, and it is taking ownership of like your ability to do things differently. That's a, that's a great point. So I have to ask for those of us who are currently in business or if we're working and we have a stash of cash, where should we be thinking about putting our money to help it grow? To help your business grow? Hmm. You know, uh, it depends on what your, that goes back, stepping back and asking yourself, what does my business really need right now? And when thinking about what does it need and is it ready to capitalize on that need? Um, so for example, um, for me, it was like I just needed like space to be clear and rest and get tasks done and so forth. So I wasn't burdened with some of the smaller tasks, um, content creation and so forth. 
that. So it was hiring someone who could do content creation for me um, so that I could focus on other areas of my business to grow. It's like, okay, you get the eyes over here and I focus on how to convert. Um, so it is like determining what your business needs and what you need. I think that one of the, and I know that you're in PR and I don't know how you'll feel about this, but one of the biggest mistakes I see people make um, is thinking that the first thing they need to do is hire a PR person. Um, it's I like, think, I think that is a mistake. It's I like, hold it. on. Are you, are you ready to capitalize on the information or to capitalize on the audience they bring to you? And that was something I learned with Black Enterprise, being on the cover of Black Enterprise. My business was so young. When I was on the cover of Black Enterprise, I didn't even have an email list set up. And so it's like, my money would have been better spent setting up an email list and, and you know, for hiring someone to write an email sequence that converted. Um, I didn't have a PR person when I was on the cover of Black Enterprise, but I wish I would have had an email sequence that converted so that I could capitalize on those audiences or those eyes that were coming to me at that time. And so it is understanding, like, do you have the things in place for what you're thinking of hiring for? Because if you don't, then your money might be wasted. Um, yes, that's a that's a great point. Um, yeah. And as a publicist, and you know, a, a lot of people like you, you may thought that that would have offended me. No, I see that every day in my business. People reach out like, "Hey, how can I hire you? I want. I think I need a publicist." And when I peel back the layers and look at their business, they're not ready. And I'm not someone. There's a lot of people that will, but I'm not someone that's gonna just take someone's money, knowing the amount of investment that they need to make first. Um, whether it's through just sweat equity um, on getting their business to a certain point before they hire someone like me or a firm like mine. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that anyone listening, there there are things that you can be doing on your own to bring attention to your business, to tell your own story before you get a publicist. A publicist can help amplify the great things you're already doing. But if you're not doing anything, it doesn't make sense to have one. Exactly, exactly. So it is just like thinking about, you know, how is this money best utilized in my business? Like what will help me push the needle as far as what my goals are? Is it investing in more inventory? Is it investing in, you know, site design or investing in someone to come in and help me understand um, user experience for my website? Is it investing in someone to write these email sequences that I need or create this funnel? Is it investing in someone to, um, you know, to just support me and respond to these emails so I can go focus on doing other tasks? Uh, is it investing in someone who is creative so that my brand can have a creative appearance and so forth or have a, um, you know, communicate it's my our mission well aesthetically and engage more audience members and I don't have the capacity to do that. So I think it is really just stepping back and asking yourself and understanding what was right for someone else's business might not be right for yours um, and might not be right for you at that particular time. Agreed. So you are the millennial money expert, Tanya. So <laughs> this next question is about us as a group. Like millennials are getting older and we are currently in our prime working years. We've experienced two recessions and now a global pandemic. Our focus is naturally on how to navigate and survive the current moment. But I also think we should be preparing for retirement and there just aren't many people talking to 20 and 30 somethings about that. What are some things that we can begin to do now to prepare for our financial futures, whether that includes paying into our company 401k, or if you're self-employed, looking into uh, IRA plans? Yeah, it is just that. It is just that contributing something, even if it's a small amount, contributing, you know, whatever the minimum is you can, just, just starting 
Um, I think that, you know, the stock market is, is great and awesome, but I think that you should have a diverse portfolio. So you should have a 401k and an IRA. And then if you want to mess around the stock market, then do so. Uh, I think it is also important to think about what you want your life to look like down the line. Um, some people, you know, have, you know, purchased homes or like home ownership and so forth, and they don't even realize that they don't have an interest in staying in that area or staying in that city for a long period of time. So the, the home actually isn't an investment at that point. And like you could have invested your money in other areas because you're not staying in it long enough to reap the benefits of the equity. Um, and so it's understanding what your long term plan is. But then also, yes, being consistent and just contributing something small to your workplace, 401k, your IRA, and then starting to explore other investment vehicles when you get comfortable with that. Um, but those, they, they self-automate, they do what they need to do kind of on their own. They ebb and flow with the economy. Um, and so just leaving it in there and, you know, hoping that by the time you get to your retirement, we're not in another recession. Um it, it's it's really 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 important, but I mean, we think about it. The, the last recession was in two thousand and eight. It's twenty twenty twelve years, um, ten to twelve years. They come around every ten to twelve years. So the next one probably will be, you know, like I'm in my mid thirties, and so the next one probably will be when we are in our um, mid forties, um, and then mid sixties. So just kind of understanding, like that's how it ebbs and flows, and planning for that. You're stressing me out. I mean, it's the, it's the reality, but, and I think it's so important for us to hear you say that because again, we're focused on like the present moment. We're living in the moment we're trying to survive, but we do mm -hmm. need to be thinking broader because I mean, for those of us who are in our thirties or even in your late twenties, we feel like, damn, I was just 18. Like I was just mm -hmm. 21 and it, you look up and you have this full life and that we, you know, generationally, many of us aren't prepared for what that looks like or for, you know, just the trajectory of our careers, which are far more advanced in many cases than our parents. Absolutely. Time flies. Time flies. And but then also understanding that, like, there's that valley and like there's a valley, but then there's a hill peak and like get, get, get it when that hill peak happens, like get it stack your money and everything else. I think that just with this understanding, like nobody saw this one coming, no one saw the housing crisis coming. And so in that, a lot of times I think that we're, and rather than preparing, we're just like, you know, I think there is a fine balance between enjoying the fruits of our labor, but then also preparing. Um, so it's like, yes, take those trips, travel and so forth, but not at the expense of doing what you need to do with your money to Agreed. be prepared for the next one. Agreed. So aside from my fat finance, what are your top three personal finance resources that we should be following or reading to get our money right? So let's say for um, for people who are climbing the ladder and who are traditionally employed, I would say, you know, definitely your your business's banking app, like your your I mean, your banking app for the company that you bank with or the the credit union you bank with. Um, you always need to just have that on your phone and checking it regularly and so forth, just to be on top of what's happening with your money. If you have to get, you know, emails every morning or something of that nature, just make sure you're on top of what's happening with your money and you're getting those alerts. Um, that would be the first thing um, um, or the first tool. I would say the second one is like have access to an um, an accountant or a tax preparer, tax preparer um, or tax prep person just to understand what your tax planning strategies are um, or just to be able to ask those questions. But like, I think at all times we're going to be faced with tax related questions. 
um, especially as people who are seeking to generate more revenue, like what makes the most sense for me? How am I saving the most money when it comes to tax implications? What do I need to be aware of to stay on the right side of the law when it comes to taxes? Um, you know, a parent has transitioned and they left me money. What can I do with this to avoid the tax ramifications of it, the tax liability related to it? Just being on top of things like that and having a, a, a tax person that you can speak to um, and speak, seeking out those resources because everybody pays taxes and everybody's impacted by taxes. And I think that most people kind of downplay that and they want to focus on everything else. But like that can be a really, really big component of your financial planning strategy. And I think that's where a lot of people... Um, that's an area opportunity a lot of people miss or dismiss. Uh, and then the last one is the Clarity app. I love the Clarity app. Um, it helps people understand where their money is going. So really understand how you're spending your money and how you're utilizing it. Um, you, you literally just connect it to your bank account and it tells you what you're spending and in what categories and so forth. So you that you know where to pull back on your spending. So I would definitely recommend that too. Honorable mention for people who are entrepreneurs is just like, you know, some accounting software. You got to have that accounting software because the numbers don't lie and you need to be um, on track of the numbers when it comes to your business. So QuickBooks for me as a fave, I know people like Wave and Zero and Finch, but just some type of accounting software that resonates with you that helps you see like what's going on with your business finances, what's coming in, what's going out. Because that is like your numbers will tell the picture of how um, successful or unsuccessful your business is. This is true. So I want to switch gears a bit and talk about your latest venture, Club Lufa. How did that acquisition come about? It came about because um, being a service-based entrepreneur, I understand the, sort of the limitations when it came to scaling and also understood that I probably would want another life outside of my fat finance. And so I was talking to my little sister. I was like, yeah, I want to I want to buy, I want to buy something. I don't necessarily want to like start anything from the ground up. I just want to, I just want to buy something, kind of take over it and, and steer it in another direction. So I've been listening to a few podcasts. The Quiet, Quiet Light Brokerage podcast is a really good one for people who are interested in buying or selling a business. My First Million is another good podcast for that. Um, and I decided I wanted to buy a business. My sister actually had started a store on Shopify and decided that Shopify wasn't for her. And shut that site down. And they sent her, they were like, Do you want to listen on the Shopify Exchange? She started looking through the Shopify Exchange and she saw this Club Club Lufa. And she was like, Hey, this, I think this is a good concept. I think you could, could really do something with this. They just haven't really blown, like, they haven't really done a good job of marketing it. And so I um, started doing my research on it, talked to a few people in my industry, talked to one of my good friends, um, Zim, who, um, who had bought a business and was talking to her about her experience and what things to look out for, ran it by her. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna buy this business. Um, and so that's how it came about. It kind of fell in my lap because of my little sister, but it just seemed like a good concept. It was a e-commerce business. It already had revenue coming in because it was subscription-based. So they already had, um, I, it wasn't like, you know, I knew that I'd at least have the money to pay for the business to pay for itself. Um, when I purchased it, purchased it with inventory already and so forth. And so that's how it came about, Shopify Exchange. So Shopify Exchange, is that a place for businesses that are looking to sell? What is Shopify Exchange? It's a place for people, um, owners of Shopify businesses to sell their, to sell their oh. Shopify store. 
Yeah. Oh, so. Okay. So when your sister was shutting down, they said, Hey, put your, instead of just, you know, doing away with it, put it on the exchange. Exactly. Sell it instead of closing wow. it, sell it. Um, if it, you think it has, you know, the revenues and like, if it has the revenue and the structure and some, so for that might be attractive to an investor. And so, yep, it, it, it literally wow. is like it classifies for Shopify stores. You just put me on. We all about to be on a Shopify exchange shopping. <laughs> See if something resonates with you because, you know, it, sometimes it is like somebody has already had the concept and everything else and something happens in their life. Um, with Club Lufa, it was that the gentleman that I had purchased it from actually inherited from the previous owners who realized it was a little more than they, they, I think they thought they were just going to set the business up and it's just going to be like this raving success. And as I know, there are things you have to do within it. And so he inherited it because he was on their team. And then he was like, I'm not even passionate about the health and beauty space. Like, I just inherited it. I just didn't want to see it go down. Um, and then he had he had shifting interests in his life. And so he was seeking to sell it. So sometimes it's just because someone's not interested. And, you know, businesses range from, you know, 100. And the cost will range from 100K to 5,000. So it just really depends. And I, I love this example, and, and I'm actually going to have Zim on the podcast as well. Um, and she's, an, she's just another fantastic example of demonstrating um, that you that there are multiple paths to entrepreneurship. A lot of people think that, okay, I, I have to you know have that dream where someone speaks to me in my dream and gives me this idea, and then I have to create it from scratch. And it's like, no, you can franchise. You can, now we know about the Shopify exchange. We can go <laughs> run it up on there and find something that aligns with our passion. But I love that you are um, setting that example. So you've owned Club Lufa since, November 2019? Yep. So this is a fairly um, new business. I, I love what it's about. It's The possibilities are endless in terms of just self-care um, and bath products and wellness products in general. So I'll be excited to see what, what you do with that. What challenges, if any, have you faced in the months since you acquired the brand? You know, it, it's interesting. Um, one of the big challenges was that the the pro, one of the challenges about buying an existing brand is that you know the reputation it could have a reputation beforehand. So um, in the last couple of months, the previous owners were kind of checked out, and so like their Facebook reviews were just terrible. Um, so one of, it's easy to get people to leave a bad comment, but it's harder to get people to leave like good reviews um, if they're happy with their product. And so one of the things is turning the the image of the company around, like you know changing the user experience so that we reduce churn and so that people are happier and become raving fans rather than complaining, um, com than upset or frustrated members of the company. So really changing the reputation of the brand around on social media. Um, also, but it wasn't bad on Instagram. It was just bad on Facebook. Um, but dealing with having, so when I bought the business, one of the things that I loved was that it didn't, it wasn't necessarily a black owned business because I do feel like as a black woman, people feel that when you have a black owned business, it's for black only black people only. So it has been like navigating that fine line of like maintaining some of the things that were attractive about it, that it appealed to everybody, but then also being honest and transparent and truthful to who I was as a business owner. And I was actually faced with this um, the first week of June when the George Lowy protests were happening and people were muting on social media and everything. And um, we started like, because we had really just relaunched our social strategy in May, we were kind of just getting things going. 
And a black woman came to our site and came to our Instagram profile and was like, yeah, well, I see black people on the timeline, but, you know, I would just like to see more because she's assuming it's a white owned company at this point. And she's like, I would just like to see more black imagery and so and so, so forth and um, your, your advertisements and so forth, which we had planned to do. Um, the week that LA was sent into shutdown, we had a, a, diverse, a culturally diverse photo shoot scheduled when LA went into lockdown. So we had to use the previous assets the previous owners had. So it kind of like I had to step, I stepped out at that point. I was like, look, it's owned by a black woman. We hear you. We're making these changes. But it is in still navigating that being a black woman, under, people understanding that Club Lufa is for everybody's body. Like everybody needs a bath sponge just because we're black owned doesn't mean we're black only. So just continuing to um, find a way to navigate that um, resonating with a variety of audiences so that we can scale in the way that we want to scale um, and get market share because my plan is to sell Club Lufa down the line. So um, that is a challenge. Um, And then also understanding funding. I've been very um, vocal about this on Twitter recently as I look at what it looks like because with my fab finance that was completely self-funded. With Club Lufa, it's a different ballgame. If we're going to compete with some of these larger cosmetic brands, we might need some seed funding because when you listen to these founder stories and so forth, they had like, you know, I got forty thousand dollars from my grandma. I got one hundred fifty thousand dollars from my dad's best friend. That is not my story. And so I might have to raise money, but understanding that even going to raise money, how do I position myself and build and create my business and the story of my business in a way that investors don't laugh at me when I walk in the door? Because like I'm able, I know what questions they're going to ask and I'm able to answer those questions. And I think that that's something that a lot of black entrepreneurs were locked out of discussions of that nature is like, how do I position my business so that it's attractive to an investor and that they take it serious? How do I position my number? So that it's attractive to an investor and they take my business serious. So just knowing what I don't know when it comes to that. And, um, and that's been one of the challenges. It's just like the, the need to learn so many different things is there. How do I like figure out what do I need to know right now to help me get to where I need to be? And then what do I, will I need to know then? Yeah. That's a that's a fantastic point, and it's a it's a great segue into this question, uh, which I'll I'll use uh, to wrap things up. Is how are you practicing self care these days? Yeah, I mean self care. Um, I started journaling. Uh, I wasn't necessarily, and I'm not necessarily the best of it, best at it at all times, but I did start journaling. So I do have a journaling practice. I have a self-honoring practice that I implemented where every night I write down um, things that I'm grateful for, my wins for the day. And then I take a moment to honor myself and like really look myself in the mirror and be like, Tanya, you're amazing. You did that. You're a great mother. You are a compassionate wife. You are a good friend. You, you know, your body, your body image is improving. You took time out today to meditate and so forth. Like you are understanding becoming more self-actualized, like just, just honoring myself in that way. Cause I don't think that we do that enough. And I think that in itself is self-care. Um, but then also I have a meditation practice now I'm going on 116 consecutive days of meditation. Wow. So that's up here and carving out time to do that and making sure that I take space. Thank you. Like with a toddler, it's real. Um, but you know, sometimes, sometimes most of the time I meditate when he goes down for his nap. Sometimes I ask my husband, can I grab time to meditate this morning? Um, so, or we, we go to the park, I say, Hey, can you take him on a walk? And I'll sit here and meditate in the grass. So it is being intentional about grabbing that time to be still. 
Um, and then therapy. Therapy also has been an act of self-care. I have a fantastic Black woman therapist that I found from the Therapy for Black Girls um, mm-hmm. directory. directory. Yeah, yeah. Joy, that mm-hmm. directory is gold. And my therapist Shout is- out to like, Dr. Joy. Yes. And my, and my therapist that I found on there is amazing. She's hands down the best therapist I've ever worked with. Um, we're re- in the process of relocating to Georgia. And um, when I told her, she's like, oh, I might not be able to be your therapist anymore. And I like literally was almost in tears. I was like, no, we've come Listen, I can, I can relate. I, one of um, the therapists that I'm seeing is a, a black woman as well. And she was leaving um, the practice that, you know, she was in. And I was like, okay, well, where are we going? Where, where right. are we going? Because I'm going with you. Think, sis, to the ends of the world. Like, going. If you think I'm about going. to start this process over? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. So I, I, total, I totally understand. Listen, we're going to be on Zoom. We're going to be on FaceTime. Whatever you need. <laughs> Just yes, leave yes. it off. <laughs> I, yeah, I, who are you leaving, sis? We're going together. Girl, um, yeah. So that, so. Those, have been, those have been critical tenets of self-care. And saying no, um, I, I hit a moment where I realized that um, I was going to stop saying no. And excuse my language, stop saying no to shit I didn't want to do. Period. And really ask him, like, do I really want to do this? And checking with myself, like, Tanya, you don't want to do this. Like, you feel like you got to do it out of obligation or you feel like you got to do it out of this. Then say no. Yeah, I, I'm shaking my head in agreement because we have to we have to do that. We have to unlearn the we're so accommodating to everyone else's requests of our time, of our energy. And we need to prioritize ourselves because it's, it's re- it really has to be about self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah. Just really stepping back and be like, you know what? I, I don't want to do this. Um, and, and it's okay not to want to do it. And you can be graceful in your decline, but it, yeah. So that, that's been self-care too. It's just like, man, I'm so glad I don't got to do this right now. No, and and it's like, when you don't have to bring that, regretful energy to something you that's another way to honor ourselves yeah yeah so yeah that's so my what... last my last question for you is what does the rest of 2020 look like I mean we've lived through a very interesting year so far but I am still optimistic and think that we can still make this our year what can we expect to see from you and your growing empire yeah, I mean, for me, we're relocating to Atlanta. So me and my family are relocating from Los Angeles to Atlanta. That's making our base. And we're really just going to kind of focus on that. Um, for me, 2020 looks like just continuing to learn and grow and scale Club Lufa, um, continue to provide value to the MyFab Finance audience. But with Club Lufa, we are rolling out a, um, a body care line to accompany our, our product. Um, and so just really focusing on developing that and sharing more about what that looks like to private label. I'm sharing behind the scenes of that on my personal Instagram, um, growing more so in the how I do it space, growing more so in the lifestyle space, because I think that it can be inspiring to others who have ideas or businesses and they're trying to figure out how to how they do it um, to kind of let people in on how I get it done. So just more more emphasis on that area and continuing to grow, continuing to grow. Um, Club Lufa, I am not taking anything else on. Um, we have, I have the nonprofit maternal, which actually has had to take a back seat because maternal was being self-funded as well um, while we were generating revenue, um, not generating revenue, but raising money and so forth. And I was paying the staff 
or the support team for that. And I've had to reallocate that support team to Club Lufa temporarily, but we are still allocating micro grants with that. But most of the focus is on Club Lufa because that's what's costing money. Um, and that's what we kind of need to get up. Like I said, active income, uh, passive income starts out as being active. And I'm in that active phase, phase of bringing in more subscribers and so forth um, to the point where we'll have enough subscribers coming in with Club Lufa, then it does actually become passive. So just building. I think that 2020, um, the end of 2020 for me is really about continuing to build, building a life in Atlanta and building this business that I brought. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was a joy to, you know, just hear a little bit more about your story, your journey, and your tips. And I mean, my biggest takeaway is definitely one, Shopify Exchange. <laughs> but, <laughs> but also just that passive income is active at first um, mindset that I think we all need to adopt. Um, so thank you. And I wish you the absolute best. Thank you so much. I love this podcast. So thank you so much for having me on here. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Sakita Method. Can we take another moment for what will easily be our newest mantra? Passive income is active first. Thank you so much for that, Tanya. I'm going to put all of her info in the show notes. So definitely follow her. Keep up with all the amazing things that she's doing. And if you're talking about this episode online, use the hashtag the Sakita method and tag me at Miss Success on both Instagram and Twitter. You can also tag the Sakita method account. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review this episode. 